series. We've been uh, through this series and been investigating this whole issue of dating. And uh, we just started and said, let's reverse engineer it off of marriage. Most marriages end in divorce. The ones that don't aren't often that happy, frankly. And so marriage as a concept, as what we see, is not appealing. But when we look into the scripture and we talk about love, and then we look into Ephesians chapter 5 and we see God's definition and his construct of marriage, a New Testament marriage, that is very appealing. And we've just been looking and saying, God wants what you want. Like he wants you to feel loved and you to get to love. He wants you to have a, a lifetime devotion and joy and, and uh, all the happiness that can come through a great marriage. He wants that too. And when we look and say, well, God wants this and I want this, but that's what everybody has, we just said, maybe we're setting it up wrong, right? Just kind of ask the question. Maybe we're setting it up wrong. Maybe we need to change the paradigm of how we date. Uh, the time in life where we choose each other and make promises to each other, if we shifted that paradigm and thought about it differently, if instead of looking for the perfect person, if we said, what if I become the person the person I'm looking for is looking for? What if I changed me and how I interacted with things? And then we said, what if we deepen the dating process? And, and after, you know, we go out a few times, things are starting to click. What if we started looking and saying, what if every dating partner is a potential marriage partner? What if I looked at them differently and kind of analyzed my relationship differently? If we set things up differently, could we have a different outcome? How might God use that? So we've been having that conversation for a long time. Uh, you can go out, on, out online, bath.graceohio.org. You can watch it, listen to it, get a podcast if you want. I want to finish this conversation this weekend. And then what we're going to do, we're going to finish this conversation this weekend. Next weekend is Mother's Day. If that shocks you, you better get your act together right now, all right? So we're going to celebrate Mother's Day and have some fun with that. And then the weekend after that, the, the two weeks after that, this whole conversation about dating uh, spills over into marriage a lot, but it also leaves some loose ends because there's some things unique to marriage. So the two weeks after that, we're going to do a two-week uh, conversation uh, called Married with Benefits, and we're just going to have that conversation, and then we'll kick off into some other stuff and kind of wrap up this relational season here at Grace, okay? But this weekend, as we finish up It's a Match, my so-called love life, uh, this is where I want to land. I want to land by talking about how to be ready to be married, okay? And we're going we're gonna to dig into a couple verses here in the, in the Bible, and then we're going to have this hyper-practical, all the loose ends stuff that I could kind of come up with and, and talk to you about if you're getting married, if you're headed toward marriage, if you want to be married, what can I be doing now to prepare to be married? Now, this is an important conversation because <clears throat> this is what happens. When we, when we experience the emotion that we call, we call it falling in love, right? So when we fall in love, we make lifetime decisions off of that. We fall in love, there's a proposal, we get married. We're making lifetime decisions off of that emotion that we call falling in love. Here's, a, here's the problem. When I'm falling in love, that emotion makes me blind and naive, right? It just makes me blind and naive. Now, by the way, that's not all negative. It's fun to fall in love, and being blind and naive can be good. I am particularly happy that it made Heidi blind <laughs> when we were dating, right? It's worked out well for me, because in marriage, later on, she's like, ugh, I'm like, I know, but now we're legally intertwined. We own the house, the kids, you know, so, like, she kind of stuck with me, right? So, but it does. It makes us blind and naive, and, and a lot of it's fun, and, and some of it's negative. It's just 
I'm just saying it to be aware, right? That's how it happens. You meet this guy, you go on a few dates, and then suddenly you're back in the dorm, and you're talking to your girlfriends, and you're like, he's amazing, he's amazing, right? He, he's chiseled, and he's just cute, and he has 80% of his hair, and his teeth, and he's just gorgeous. And then your girlfriends see him, and they're like, mm, right? Okay, but you're blind, and you're naive. And you meet this girl, and you go back, and you tell your fellas, you're like, She's incredible, man. She's incredible. We're just like bonded. We have so much in common. Seriously. Like we both eat. We, we, both, we both breathe air, right? We're just, I'm pretty sure she's the one, right? And then your friends meet her and they're like, mm, she's kind of like everybody else, right? But it makes us blind and naive and it's a fun time of life. It's exciting. Enjoy it. it it's great. But this is what happens. That emotion of being in love and that blind and naive time, it culminates with this romantic explosion called a proposal, right? And proposals have to be big now because you've got to outdo the dudes that are asking girls to prom. So they've got to be like huge, right? So the blimp is involved and there's fireworks and like the singing group and like all that kind of stuff. So you have this romantic explosion of proposal. And then what happens after a proposal is you go into wedding mode, right? And I encourage, by the way, I encourage short engagements, right? So let's call it six months. I'm in wedding mode. And in wedding mode, what we're doing is all of our energy goes to having a wedding. So you're booking the place, you're getting the preacher lined up, you're selling your plasma to pay for the reception. Like all that's happening, inviting everybody, trying to figure out why your mom's friend has to come, like that whole nine years. And you get to the wedding and then you go and you have a wedding, And at the wedding, the music starts and the bride walks in and she looks amazing and the groom's there and he's ripped because he's been going to CrossFit getting ready for his wedding, which by the way, let me say this, huge mistake. This is a big, big marriage counseling thing. You need to be fat when you get married. That's very, very important, (laughs) right? It's my best marriage advice. You gain 15 pounds before the wedding because that's what I did. And now years later, Heidi's like, you look just like you looked when I married you. I'm like, yes, I do, right? So it's, it's the way you got to do it. You never let her down. It's just a little tip for you, right? So don't lose weight. But er- everything's awesome, right? So we have, we have blind, naive, in love, romantic explosion, lots of planning, lots of investment, wedding. Now, here's the thing. At the wedding, we get together and we make vows, And we make these lifetime promises to each other. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You're the only one for me. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and health, till death do us part. And then if grace does your wedding, you make those vows before God. You make those sayings, and then we'll say, you take this in the name of the Father, name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, right? And this is what happens. Everything has gone into a love and naive, I'm in love, blind, naive, and now we planned a wedding, and now we got together, and the biggest part is the vows, and we didn't prepare it all for those. We're not ready to be married, and it's weird because the point of a wedding is not a wedding. The point of the wedding is the marriage, and the marriage is usually what we spent the least amount of time getting ready for. So what I want to do is, as we wrap up this series, I want to I walk you through how to get ready for those vows. Because those vows stick, man. You're going to be held accountable for those vows. There's going to be a point that things get a little rocky in your marriage, and she's going to look at you, and she's going to say, you promised. And he's going to look at you, and he's going to say, you 
promise. And then God's going to look at you and God's going to say, you made a vow to me in the name of the Trinity. It's a big deal in the Bible. You promised me that you would love each other this way and we're not set up for those things at all. So I want to walk you through this. How, how do you get ready for it? Let me, let me show you this verse in the Bible. Uh, I put this in your notes for you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. It's on the app. It's in the program if you want. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. This is what the Bible says about wise people. And I want to talk about being wise a little bit. Here it is, ready? The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of the fools is deception. Great verse. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. This is, this is the deal. A person who is prudent is this. A wise person is prudent. A prudent person is someone who realizes or knows that all of life is intertwined. That's what a prudent person is. All of life is intertwined. This decision has that consequence. That consequence leads to that decision. A prudent person realizes that all of life is intertwined. And so God's saying someone who is wise is prudent. And what a prudent person does is they give thought to their ways. Ways are patterns, behaviors, and habits. So a prudent person is going to look at their patterns of life, their behaviors in life, and their habits of life, and they're going to give thought to that, realizing that it's all intertwined. What I do in the past defines my present reality, and my present reality defines my future. So a prudent person, a wise person, is going to look and say, the greatest predictor of my future behavior is my past behavior. And the only way to change that pattern or habit in my life is to make very definite decisions in my present so that my future is altered. It's on a different path. So when we're getting ready to be married, we need to lean in to being prudent. We need to lean into being wise. And a wise person will do that. Now, this is fascinating. If you go down seven verses in the same chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, here's the opposite. The simple, another way to translate that word simple is naive. The simple or the naive believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The simple or the naive believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Someone who is blind and naive believes anything, but a wise person will try to step back from emotion. They'll try to step away from distraction. And really, a wedding ceremony is often a big distraction to a marriage being begun. So they'll step back from that and they'll say, wait a minute, I'm going to evaluate my relationship. I'm going to realize that it's all interconnected. I'm going to give thought to my ways before I make a lifetime commitment to a person. And they're going to give thought to their ways and they're going to give thought to their ways. So a prudent person is going to look and say, let me think about our ways. If I am dating a hardworking, compassionate, gracious, loving person, and that has been the pattern of our dating relationship, then there's a decent chance that when I make a lifetime vow to that person, what I'm going to get is a hardworking, gracious, loving person. If I am dating a person who is always looking at me and saying, that'll never happen again. I'll never lose my temper again. And you've heard that five times. 
a simple person will believe that every time that's said. A prudent person will say, well, if he loses his temper and he's apologized to me five times, the chances are he's going to keep being that way into the future. If you're dating a person and she's controlling, she has like a tracker on your phone and a tracker on your car and a private detective that goes everywhere with you. She's just insecure and she's controlling and you fight about that and she doesn't want to lose you so she always, I'm sorry, I'll quit being, I don't want to, I'll quit, I'll quit being jealous all the time. And a simple person will believe that explanation again and again and again and again. A prudent person will look and say, oh man, if she's controlling now, She's going to be really controlling when we get married. A prudent person looks and says all of life is connected, and the greatest predictor of the future is the past. And if deep, tested change hasn't happened, right, then that's going to be what your future behavior you're going to inherit and you're going to live with. Now, this is the thing. This is what marriage does. Marriage amplifies a relationship. What it does it amplifies a relationship so the good parts of your relationship are amplified in marriage that's the fun part of marriage the bad parts of your relationship are amplified in marriage and that's the hard part of marriage and a prudent person looks and says what's the good what's the bad and how do i get ready to deal with the good and the bad and the ugly and the awesome because i'm about ready to lock in to a commitment forever. And here's all of you guys who are single, whether you're high school, college, you're older, you're divorced, you're single again, right? Wherever you're at. By the way, you can be 50 and you're still blind and naive if you're in love. And this is what it sounds like. Well, I know what a good relationship is because I learned it in my first two marriages. Now you're gonna have it in your third one too because you're blind and naive. I'm just telling you, I'm just loving you. It's just the way it is, all right? So you have to lean into prudence. I'm gonna back up. Right? We know what we're getting ourselves into. No, you don't either. I know because you're in my office later on saying, I didn't know he was like this. Well, I told you. <laughs> okay? It's fine, but could we be prudent? Could we be wise? Could we make another set of decisions? Could I prepare myself for marriage? And how do I then analyze the person I'm thinking about getting married to and how do I bring wisdom to it? So this is what I want to do. I want to give you, I wrote down 10 things. I, 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 I want to give you 10 things that will help you get ready to be married. Now, this is what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I'm used to it, right? Everybody who's been married for a while is going to hear these 10 things. They're going to be like, preach it, brother. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's not married is going to look at me and say, well, we're different. It doesn't apply to us. All right, think what you want, but you're wrong. I'm not wrong. I was wrong like in 96 once, but I'm not wrong about this, okay? It, it, it's the way it is, and a prudent person backs up. I want you to consider it. Just think it through. How does it apply to your life, and could it help you be ready to be married, okay? Now, I told you all through this series, this series was inspired when I read a book by Andy, a guy named Andy Stanley, the book is called New, Loves, uh, New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. I highly recommend that book, right? And grab it. I, I know a bunch of you are watching online at some college campuses and things like that. Uh, after this wraps up, grab that book and do that one together in the dorm room too. New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. 
And this week's message is really affected by that book. Others weren't so much, but this one is. So if you want to follow up with this conversation, grab that book, and a lot of this stuff is in there, and, and you'll get more and more out of it, okay? All right, here they are. How to, prepare, how to prepare for marriage. What are some prudent, wise things you could do as you're headed to the altar? Here's number one. One of the best things you can do to get ready for marriage is to deal with your childhood issues, to deal with your childhood issues, okay? Now, here's the thing. We all have childhood issues, every single one of us. If you got childhood issues, then you're like everybody else. Everybody's got childhood issues, and we're all here together because birds of a feather dysfunction together, so here we are, right? This is the deal. We have differing degrees of childhood issues. So every parent messes their kids up because we're sinners and we don't know what we're doing. By the way, if you're a parent, just find rest in that. You are messing your kid up, and you're like everybody else. Heidi and I, we don't save for the kids' college. We save for their counseling. It's going to be more helpful later on, all right? So I'm messing my kids up. You're messing your kids up because I'm a sinner, and I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just doing the best that I can, okay? So all of us have childhood issues. All of us have mom and dad issues a little bit. Sometimes our childhood issues come from outside the family, it's abuse, it's rejection, it's, it's all those kind of things. So we all have them, there are differing degrees to it. Let me show you what happens. Let me, I put this little graph in here. When I am single, my issues are between usually me and my parents. Whatever that issue is, especially if they're devastating issues. My dad left, I don't know who he is, my mom's crazy, she brought all kinds of craziness to our family, those kind of things. That wounds us and hurts us and forms us, Right? This is what happens. When I get married, I leave my father and mother, and my spouse takes the place of my parents. So the issues I have with my parents, if undealt with, get transferred to my spouse. Now let me show you this. Like if you, let's say you have a deep father wound. Your father left you, right? And he, he abandoned you when you were a kid, and, and, and that's been a painful thing. This is what happened. That married people who are married to someone like this, they'll, they'll say amen, but on the inside, they won't say it on the outside because they'll get in trouble for it. Right? This, this is what will happen. Dad leaves. You grow up without him. You're 35 now. Dad comes back in. It's fascinating. Dad is heroic. My husband is an idiot. It's fascinating because that pain gets transferred over to your closest relationship. Because we want our dad to be heroic. We're so glad he's back in our life. And now my husband can't win. And all husbands who are married to wives that have issues like this, on the inside, they're like, mm-hmm. We're not going to say it out loud because we fight about it when we do. Right? Now, you're married, you, got, you got crazy mom. Your mom's crazy. Right? And now you get married and now, somehow, mom got this wisdom and insight. And your wife is the crazy one now. And your wife is sitting there saying, she's crazy. We all know she's crazy. Why does he listen to her? But you don't say it out loud because you're going to get all mad if you say it. Right? Because we want our mom and dad, we want them to be what they're supposed to be. So we get older, we almost pretend, and then the person that we're in the grind of life with, they can't, they can't do anything to make us happy, right? Now, the prudent, the wisdom of the prudent is that they give thought to their ways. 
So if I'm preparing to be married, one of the best things that I can do is I can give thought to that. And, and, and men, listen, instead of being stubborn and you've overcome your parents, and listen, you probably have, but it's still in us. We need to man up and face those issues or we'll bring them into our relationship and we will wind up with our parents' marriage, which we don't want. Ladies, we need need to step up and own that so we don't bring it into marriage and it winds up helping and changing us. By the way, if you're married already and you have childhood issues, one of the best things you can do for your marriage is to sit down and work on that. I had to do this. When Heidi and I first got married, I have childhood issues. They, by the way, they weren't for my mom and dad. They were for somebody else. And I had childhood issues. And I would look at Heidi, and I'd say, you are, you are crazy, Heidi. You are cra- There's something wrong with you, Heidi. And she'd look at me, and she'd like, I think you're messed up. I'm like, no, no, no. What I think is correct and what I think is normal, you're the one messed up. Well, I started going and dealing with my childhood issues. I hung out for hours with Pastor Bob Combs, my mentor, and he walked me through a bunch of my childhood issues. And I came back to Heidi, and I said, Heidi, I think I'm messed up. And she's like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. I said, Heidi, I don't think I see the world properly. She's like, "Mm mm-hmm. What she said was, oh, that's interesting, sweetie. On the inside, she's thinking, "Mm mm-hmm, right? And I had to, de- it's one of the greatest things I gave Heidi. Now, and Heidi had to do that too in her, in her own way with her own things because we bring it all onto each other. Instead of loving and being with each other, we bring these relationships together. This is a big one, so I'm, I'm harping on it a little bit. When you're thinking about getting married, getting into counseling, sitting down with a pastor, hanging out with your life group leader, and just processing some things through. It's a, it's a wedding gift that you could give, all right? And a prudent person looks and says, yeah, if I grew up rough, it's going to affect me. It's, it, but guys, we're all this way. It's not a big deal. We just have to face it. If I, if I grew up this way in a, in a dysfunctional home, it's going to affect me. I'm going to see the world a certain way. And I don't want what I had. So let's wrestle with those things and move forward with it. Number one. Number two, here it is. Number two, ladies, attract with your heart and your mind. All right, now we've talked about this a lot. I'm not going to harp on it. I'm just putting it in the list because it's important. Attract with your heart and your mind. You catch, ladies, you catch whatever you bait the hook with. And and if you bait the hook with your heart and your mind, you're going to find somebody, you're going to catch somebody that loves your heart and your mind. You bait the hook with your body, you're going to catch a body snatcher. That's what you're going to catch. Now, here's the thing. If you bait the hook with your body, you're going to get a body snatcher. And so your dating relationship is hot and heavy and it's hypersexual and it's what it is. And, and what happens is you get married and your hope in marriage is that somehow you'll lock that down. But you're not going to because you caught a body snatcher. So you feel a pressure now in marriage to keep all that up. And the, the extreme outcome of that is you become one of those plastic people in Hollywood because they're trying to, to keep young because you can't keep that up. Time and babies are brutal on a body. So you can't, you can't keep it up, right? Now, if you bait the hook with your heart and mind, if you say we're gonna, we're gonna restrain the physical parts of our relationship, this is the thing, ready? Your heart and your mind grow deeper and richer the longer you live. 
beauty fades, the heart and the mind grow deeper and richer. And this is what happens. When, when you get into a marriage, Heidi hooked me with her heart and her mind. This is what happens. The longer we're married, I discovered these wonderful new aspects of her heart, for instance. There were aspects of her heart I never could know when we were dating. I had no idea the amazing mother Heidi would be. None. Of course, I couldn't. But now I discover it, I'm more attracted than ever. Her mind, this is what happened. Heidi and I have been together in our lives longer than we were separate. So we've lived more life together than we ever lived apart. So that means the bulk of our memory and our experiences involve each other. It grows deeper, it grows richer. See how that works? So as I'm preparing for marriage, I'm thinking about, dang, I'm going to get married. Listen, uh, you, you catch whatever you bait the hook with. And remember to do that. Okay, number three, here it is. Gentlemen, this one's for you. What you need to do to get ready to be married is to download last week's podcast and listen to it daily until mastered. <laughs> All right, number four. The next thing we need, I'm serious, just keep listening to it. Figure out how to be a man. Okay, number four, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Now, here's the thing. This is why this is on here. The number one stress in marriage is money. Now, this is the way it works, single people. This is the way it works. Before you get married, you think it's going to be sex. It's not. It's going to be money. Because when you're in debt and you lost a job and you're under financial pressure, sex is not on the brain. It is for men because it always is. But for women, it's not on the brain, Okay. So get out of debt. This is why this is a big deal. A couple things here, because I know a lot of us struggle with debt, school debt, all the rest, okay? A couple things. One, debt is a leading indicator of maturity. Prudent person gives thoughts of their way. They're going to do the math. All life is connected. So if you're dating a guy, and he's got 40 grand in credit card debt and his Camaro payment, okay, you need to do the math on that look back and say, what would have caused him to make those decisions? I owe Visa 40 grand and I'm working at Chick-fil-A. So, so what caused him to make those decisions and buy that Camaro? And you start pulling, the simple person doesn't ask those questions. The wise person does, right? And what caused him to make those decisions? And those decisions now are going to follow you into marriage, except he's got your credit to use too, Okay. Uh, a, a prudent person is going to look and say, uh, the girl I'm about ready to marry, and she's got, she's got 100 grand worth of school debt. And, and, and she got a degree that doesn't allow her to make big money. She's working at Starbucks. What caused her to think that was a good decision? Right? A prudent person is going to ask those questions. Okay? Now, hear me. If he's got 40 grand on the credit card, and he learned his lesson the hard way, which most of us do with debt. And he's working at Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell and landscaping on the side and living in his mama's basement to pay that debt off. You got yourself a winner. Because he learned his lesson the hard way, he paid his, his tax on it, and he's trying to clean that up. If she's in all kinds of school debt, right, and she's working hard, and she's living on ramen noodles, and she let, you got yourself a winner. So we all learn lessons the hard way, but a prudent person is going to 
Okay, here's the other thing. The easiest time to get out of debt is when you're single. So when you guys are dating, if you have a guy that looks at you and says, sweetheart, I want to delay this wedding for six months to get out of debt, you need to give him a hug. Baby, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to work on our school. Because when you're single, you can live on ramen noodles and live in your mom's basement. You cannot live on ramen noodles for a long time because you'll get medical bills. But you can live on it for a short time. You can live poor and crank out debt. When you get married, it's much harder to get out of debt. Now, let me say this. Those of you who are newly married and in debt, the second best time to get out of debt is when you're first married. So live poor. Put together a plan. Force it. Crank on it. Okay? Because you're relieving, think about this, you're relieving the number one stressor in marriage, you're relieving it from your life. If you can do it before you get married, why bring that to the marriage when it can be pushed out? Okay? So get out of debt. So we're, we're going to deal with our childhood issues. Ladies, you're going you're gonna to bait the hook with your heart and your mind. Gentlemen, you're listening to last week's podcast until you have it mastered. We're getting out of debt. Here's the fifth thing. While you're dating, before you get married, break your bad habits. Break your bad habits, okay? Listen, the prudent give thought to their ways. Wise people look at patterns. The simple believe anything. Ladies, if he's a party drunk now, he's going to be a party drunk when you get married. Uh, if she's controlling now, She's going to be controlling when, when you get married. Codependency issues. When, when you ask her what restaurant she's got to go to and she's got to call her mom to find out, you're marrying her and her mom. That's got to be broken now. When he, if he's a job jumper, if you've been, if you've been dating him for, uh, for, for two years and he, uh, he's had nine different jobs, because that boss is an idiot, and that boss is an idiot, and that one doesn't know what he's doing, and I could run the company better than this one, and he's a, he's a diphthong, and I can't believe this one, right? If he's a job jumper, and everybody's an idiot, he's probably talking about the wrong idiot. And he's going to bring that into his marriage, because he never got the habit of buckling down and toughing it out and creating something. And you're going to job jump all through your marriage, right? These bad habits are going to track in. Sexual purity, if he's watching porn now, he's going to be watching porn when you're married. If she's into porn now, she's going to be into it when you're married. Because what marriage does is it amplifies. You get, listen, dating people, listen, the, the thought is this. When I get married, my sexual temptations go away. That's the thought, because I have free access to sex whenever I want it. Wrong. You didn't marry a porn star. So your sexual temptations actually amplify in marriage because you have to love a person and work at the relationship in order for it to be sexual. And it's just easier to go look at porn. So if those habits are in place now, they're going to amplify in the marriage in a, in a prudent person. The anger is going to amplify in the marriage. Here's a great quote. This is Andy Stanley. It's right from that book I recommended that you get. Here it is. He says this, whatever their issues are in dating, whatever the issue is, 
within six months of marriage, you will become the reason for it. That's a great quote. If you're ever going to get a tattoo, you got to get that one, right? Whatever the issues are in dating, within six months of being marriage, they're going to be your fault. I wouldn't be out with my buddies if you weren't such a... I wouldn't be looking at porn if we had a good sex life. I wouldn't be at my mother's all the time if you would communicate with me. It's going to be your fault. And if you're not seeing those things broken now, if you're not seeing that maturity and growth now, you're probably not ready to take lifetime vows. And a prudent person is going to give thought to other ways. They're going to look at those habits, those behaviors, those patterns, and they're going to do the math on those accordingly. Okay, here it is, number six. Number six is this. In your relationship, postpone the physical as long as possible. Postpone the physical as long as possible. And I mean all aspects of the physical, holding hands, kissing, making out, and then sex for sure, okay? So the Bible says that before marriage, abstinence is what God wants. That is what sexual purity is. We defined it a couple weeks ago. Sexual purity is when my eyes do not see and my hands do not touch any part of someone's body that should be covered by a bathing suit, okay? So for women... A modest bikini, don't try that one on me. A modest bikini for gentlemen, swim trunks, and I don't mean Speedos, okay? Seriously, never, right? So, okay, so that's, that's a good rule of thumb for sexual purity. My eyes don't see it, my hands don't touch it. All right, so we're talking about all aspects of the physical relationship. So there's a whole lot of like hugging, kissing, hand holding that can be very appropriate, okay? And, and we haven't crossed over to, into, into uh, immorality. I'm encouraging you to postpone even that because this is what happens. Physical interaction in a relationship is meant to bond us. That's why God gave it to us, right? So it's meant to bond us, and it works. First time we held hands, man, my heart flittered. It's still, when I hold Heidi's hand now, it still makes my heart flitter a little bit, okay? Kissing, hugging, making out, sex, all that. It's meant to bond us. This is what happens. When I bring that into my relationship too soon, ready? It makes me think we're closer than we are. So if we're holding hands, hugging, and making out on date one, I think I know this person. If I'm, if I'm sleeping with them, I, I think that I love this person. You bring that in too soon, you don't even know the person. So all of a sudden, if you have a hot and heavy physical relationship, and then you get guilty, you're like, oh man, we're not supposed to be doing this, let's get married so that we can have a hot and heavy physical relationship in the confines of marriage and everything's okay, then what happens is I get married to a person I don't know. It's a fascinating thing. So if you can postpone it, I'm not even saying don't ever hold her hand, don't ever kiss her. I'm not saying that. But the longer you postpone it, the more you put the heart and the mind at the front of the relationship and the more you get to know each other, okay? Now, here's the seventh thing. If at all possible, avoid living together. Avoid living together. Now, let me talk to you about this. I'm not, harping, I'm not gonna harp on this because we've talked about it. And, and I know that many of us here are, live together, okay, before we're married. I know that that's how that works. The reason we do that is this. By the way, if, if, you're, if you're older, especially if you grew up in the church, you're, you probably view th- these couples all wrong. This is why they live together, okay? This is why we live together. 
because we're petrified of getting divorced. That's why we live together. So we, we slow the relationship down and we, when we live together to try to figure out if we can be married. And I would say, I totally get that. That makes all the sense in the world to me, okay? Here's the thing. It doesn't work. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to Google living together and divorce rates. Just Google. You do it on your own. And when you Google that and, and you get the, the statistics, the research on it, the research will say this. It's somewhere between 33% and 49%. Somewhere in there. depends on what uh, research project you read. 33 to 49% higher divorce rates if you live together before you get married, okay? So what happens is when we live together, we're living together so we don't get divorced, which makes all the sense in the world, but we wind up with a higher divorce rate. It's kind of like trying to, we try, it's like drinking Diet Coke to be healthier. It has the opposite effect, okay? That's what happens. Now, why? Why does it work that way? This is why. Because when we live together, if you're living with somebody right now, Right? I, I bet you love each other, I bet you get along great, all that kind of stuff, it's all fine. Here's the deal. For every couple that's living together and not married, there is a little smidge of insecurity in there. And a little smidge of insecurity is this. If we're living together, why aren't we just married? That li- there's always that little bit of insecurity. And then what happens is you get married and you start asking questions like that. Are we just getting married because we've been together so long? Is he just, are we just getting married because we have kids now? And marriage amplifies everything, the good and the bad. So that insecurity gets amplified. That seed actually grows in marriage. It doesn't go away, which is the thought. It grows, and now that insecurity is affecting our relationships, and that's why the divorce rates are higher, okay? So if you can avoid it, avoid it. Now let me say this, okay? Most of the time when you're living together, you know where I stand, where the Bible stands. We've talked about it enough. So this is what happens. When we're living together, when I talk about it, it feels like a scolding. I don't mean it that way. I understand why you would make that decision. I want you to think of the church, and I want you to think of me. I, I need you to trust me, right? I don't, I don't kick everybody out of the church who has sin. I'd be the only one left. <laughs> right? So I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I don't mean that. <laughs> it's so dumb. But okay. I'm, I'm not talking about that because other people got their own sins, right? And, and we could talk about their own sin. I want you to think of grace as an ally. Let us help you with this. Let us help you get ready to be married. Let us help you get married, right? Don't think that this is something like you, that you got to keep the church at an arm's length because we're all honked off because we picked a sin. I'd say the same thing about every sin. God gives us to each other to help us, not to condemn each other. So let us help you with this. If you've been living together for a while, let us help you get ready and get married, right? When you look, say, Jeff, we got kids, we got a family, then let us help you do that. Now, I'd say this. If you've been living together for a short time, a month or two, I encourage you to move out and move out. It's fascinating what Dustin said about he and Emma's relationship. They moved out, right, because there was a, a shorter time that they moved out. He pulled back, and he's like, I love this girl. Like, I love her so much. Why? 
because the heart and the mind is all there is to connect to. All of a sudden, it clears up. So if you've been together for a little bit of time, move out and let, let's restart. If you've, been, if you've been living together for a while, let us help you with the marriage, right? Let us help you get ready for that. But we, let us be your ally. We love each other, right? This is not new information. We love each other. And if you can avoid it, avoid it. If you're there already, I know why. I get it. Makes sense. But there's a, there's a different path and we want to help you with it. Okay, number eight. Here it is. Don't date a non-Christian. Don't date a non-Christian. This is what God says about marriage. God forbids a follower of Jesus to marry someone who is not. That's in the Bible. It's called being unequally yoked. So he forbids it. And this is why he forbids it. Let me explain it to you. Because of this, if I'm a follower of Christ, what I have is a new operating system within me. So following Jesus is the highest priority of my life and taints and drives and causes all of my worldviews to, to come through those lenses. If I'm not a follower of Jesus, I don't have that, right? It's no big deal. It's just the way, it's the way that it is. So the Bible says those two things don't interact. Uh, the Bible would say, what do light and darkness have in common? They, they just don't, they won't work together. So God, God forbids it. He says, if you're, now, if you were both unbelievers and you got married and one of you accepted Christ, the Bible forbids you to divorce that person. So that's another conversation, Okay. So, but on the dating side, forbids it. So if you're dating a non-Christian, it's, it's best to not date a non-Christian. Now, let me, let me talk to all of you who are non-Christians here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a secret, and your boyfriend or girlfriend are gonna get really mad at me for telling you this secret, but I'm gonna kind of have fun doing it. So here it is, right? If you're dating a Christian, what that Christian is not telling you is that their highest hope is that you'll become a Christian. So they love you, and you guys get along and all that. They're not, they're not, they're not doing that, but they're, they're ready to bait and switch because they want you, they pray that you'll become a Christian. When they think about your wedding, they're thinking about a Christian wedding. When they think about kids, they're thinking about you raising the kids in a Christian home. They want you to become a Christian. Now, I know what you might say. You might say, I think for myself... I'm not going to do that. They can't make me do that. And I look at you and say, okay, well, who's sitting in church? Kind of working. Who drug you to church? See, they're doing it already. It's happening. You're being assimilated by the Borg, right? Right? So they want that for you. Now, they're all mad at me for saying that out loud, but it's truth, okay? They want that for you. By the way, I want that for you. I want you to become a Christian. I want you to be a Christ follower. I want your soul to be saved. I want that a lot, okay? When you bring that into a relationship, it's going to cause tension. So this is what I would say. If you're dating a non-Christian, if you're non-Christian, you're dating a Christian, now you know what they're up to. You guys need to put that card on the table and have deep, intense conversations about it. And you need to be blatantly honest with each other. If you're a Christian, you just tell, quit sneaking around. Tell them that's what you want. And if you're not a Christian, then tell them. Maybe you're ready to become one, you just haven't done it yet, or maybe you're like, I'm never doing that. Well, you, got, you need to get it out, because in marriage, that will become a very divisive issue in your relationship with each other. So it's a wedding gift that you can give to each other, okay? That's number eight. Here's number nine, ready? Number nine is this, in order to be ready to be married, get involved in the church. 
get involved in the church. So here's the stats. You want some stats? Here we go. We know in marriage and culture, uh, divorce is 50-50. That's, that's the, whatever all the numbers say. It's, it's about a 50% divorce rate across the board, okay? So that means your marriage making it is a jump ball, 50-50, that's going to make it. Now here's some more stats for you, ready? The research says this, and I'm rounding the numbers off, but the research says this. When a couple gets married and they go to church on a weekly basis, a habitual basis, the chances of them staying married goes up 10%. There's about a 40% divorce rate for couples who make church a habit. When couples go to church habitually and they go to a small group, they're in some kind of biblical community, it drops another 10%. There's about a 70% chance that their marriage will make it. Now catch this. When they go to church, go to a small group, and they pray together regularly, there's about an 80% chance that they'll make it. They go to church, they pray, they go to a small group, and they each individually read the Bible on a daily basis on their own. There's about a 90% chance that they'll make it in marriage. Ready? If they go to church, they go to a small group, they pray together, they read the Bible on an individual basis, and they have, we call it in, in the church world, we call it accountability. They have other friends in their life that are helping them know, love, and follow Christ, and they're working on that, the chances of them going through a divorce are statistically zero. The closer you draw to Jesus, the higher the probability is that you won't get divorced. And the church is, is God's people, right? The church isn't an organization, it's not a building. The church is the people of God. The more that I involve myself in the people of God, the teachings of God, the accountability of God, the practices of God, the more I know Christ, the lower the divorce rate goes. And if I want a statistically 0% of getting divorced, then I dive in to knowing and following Jesus, and I do that in community. I dive in with other people who also want to know and love and follow Jesus. Dating is a great time to start those habits, right? It's a great time to start those habits. It's a great time to lock in. And if you want to have a successful marriage, being involved in the church is a huge part of it. All right, here's number 10. The last thing is this. Prudent person gives thought to their ways, okay? Here's number 10. The 10th thing, thing I can do to prepare to be married is I can start prioritizing Christ over dating, so number nine and 10 are connected. Christ is my priority. Dating is potentially something that happens in my life. Look what the Apostle Paul says. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, he says this. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in the body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Listen, single people, high school, college, whatever stage of life, divorce, whatever, if you are single, this is what you gotta know. Your singleness is not a curse from God. 
It is a gift to the church. Did you catch that? Your singleness is not a curse from God. It's a gift to the church. The Apostle Paul says, listen, if you're not married, you're able to give your undivided attention to God, and that's a good thing. Now, he also says, he goes, I'm not putting a restraint upon you. I'm not saying only the weak marry. He's saying this. In the meantime, give your undivided attention to God. While you're single, do that. When you meet somebody, meet them, great, and get married, and all the marriage wonderful stuff kicks in. But in the meantime, if you're single, utilize your singleness to serve God through the church of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, guys, this is huge, because if I am obsessed with finding somebody to marry, and I find someone, now I am obsessed with my spouse, what I will do is this. I will make my spouse an idol. If I look to Heidi and I say, Heidi, you better, you better make me feel loved and you better make me feel secure and you better heal up all my childhood wounds and you better make me happy, I am asking Heidi to be God and she can't. I've made her an idol. If she looks at me and says, you better make me feel safe and you better make me feel beautiful, and you better give me all that, you better do that, Jeffrey Bogue, then she has made me an idol. I can't do those things in her life. A great marriage occurs when each spouse is obsessed with Christ. And when I'm single... The best place to find someone obsessed with Christ is among groups of people who are giving their undivided attention to the work of Christ, which happens through his church. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, in the meantime, love Christ and love people. And when you find somebody else who loves Christ and loves people, they are probably the type of person that you've been looking for. And when you give your undivided attention to Christ, you become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. And now you have, where else are you gonna meet somebody like that? You're not gonna meet them in a bar. You're not gonna meet them on, on Tinder. Where are you gonna meet them? You're gonna meet them serving the Lord. And all these high quality things you're gonna find because this person is looking and saying, I actually want to love Christ with all my heart, soul, my mind, and strength. I want to love, I want to be kind, I want to be patient, I want to keep no record of wrongs, I want to be forgiving, I want to be protective, I want to be trustworthy, that's what I want to be. And I want to do that in Christ. And then Christ is going to look and say, you know what, I want what you want. I want that for you. And when you are devoted to Christ, Christ brings you in contact with each other because Christ is not interested in you being obsessed with your spouse. Christ wants you to be obsessed with him. And then this is what will happen. Jesus is always going to love your spouse more than you do. But he's going to love your spouse primarily through you. I want your spouse to overcome their childhood wounds. I want your spouse to have compassion. I want your spouse to feel grace. I want your spouse to feel loved. I'm going to give that to you, and then you give that to her on my behalf as if I myself were making the appeal. 
I want your husband to feel valued. I want your husband to feel strength. I want your husband to, to, to be passionate, follower of me. And I'm primarily going to express that to your husband through you. If spouses are not obsessed with Jesus, then Jesus cannot minister to each other through the spouse. If spouses are obsessed with each other, they will take from each other. If they're obsessed with Christ, they will give to each other. And this is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 5. This, this whole breakdown of marriage that God has put us on. And we've looked at this six ways to Tuesday, right? We pulled this apart. But as Christ is summarizing this whole idea, he says this in verse 31. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I'm not talking about two people. I'm talking about one person and me. And as you respond to me like the church is to respond to Christ, and then you respond to each other the way that I respond to the church, you're loving me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then you're loving your neighbor as yourself. I'm talking about your relationship with me. And if you will dive into your relationship with me, I want what you want. I want you to have that relationship with someone else because I want them to feel my love through you. I would be thrilled to give that to you. But you get that from me. You don't get that from them. That's the mystery. I'm not really talking about you and her. I'm talking about you and me. And that's the portrait that God wants painted. So when I go for Christ, it will put me in an arenas with other people who are going for Christ. And a great marriage is made up with two, by two people who are obsessed with Jesus, not with each other. And then Christ can minister to your spouse through you. And that's the fun part of marriage. I get to love her. I get to serve her. I get to protect him. I get to express trust to him. And now you have that dynamic thing that everybody wants, right? So dating. Okay, so everybody, everybody who's ever said I do wants what you want. And they got what they got. And I'm just saying, what if we tried a different path? If God wants what we want, and they got what they got, what if I did God's math in the beginning of the relationship, could I wind up with the outcome? See, now I'm just saying maybe there's a different paradigm. Maybe there's a different way. Maybe if we explored it and deepened it and tried it, we could break out some of these cycles, right? And I'm putting it out there. What if we dated differently? Could we be married differently. All right. Here's what we're going to do. It, what, what I want us to do this weekend, I encourage you, maybe just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And I encourage you just to take a few minutes and hang out with God. I, I realize that this conversation has a thousand different applications because it's going to hit each one of us individually. Some of us are translating it into marriage. Some of us are translating it into our past. Some of us are translating it into the person we're sitting beside right now. And that, that's all good. 
So why don't we take a few minutes, why don't you pray and just be with God and, and open up the door of your heart, let God bang around in there a little bit and, and see what he unsurfaces. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to repent of your own sin. That repentance just means to turn around. I'm walking away from God, I'm gonna walk to God now. Maybe you need to evaluate your relationship. Maybe you need to view, view the church as an ally and you need to think about marriage, right? It, it, a thousand different things. I don't know what yours is, but God does. So let's invite him in. Let's listen to him. See how he's leading us, what he's convicting, how he's taken us, and then we'll respond to him, okay? Jesus, help us with this. We, we want to do this, God. And so, God, in these, in these few minutes with the music and the words and the songs, and let's pray, let's thank, let's just be with you and take this important and big part of our life and just surrender it to you, maybe in a fresh in a new way, God. Thanks for loving us, Lord. You love us in our sin. We're all sinners. So thank you that your grace and compassion, your renewal is something that's open to all of us. Help us to engage that. Talk to us even now, God. Interact with us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.